Today we're talking about data and we're joined by the illustrious Patrick Murray. Hello. And the inimitable James Croft. Hello. Now, do you want to start by introducing yourself, tell us a little bit about what you do here at Razor? Yeah, cool. So I'm Patrick, I'm head of strategy at Razor. Uh, my job is to make sure all the cool tech that we're making for our clients not just makes sense now, but it also makes sense in three years' time when, we're, when it's all part of their digital transformation projects and making sure all those bits fit. But excited to be in our pretty pretty cool looking uh, studio in our in our cave uh, and talking data and i'm james croft uh head of innovation at razor and i do i take what what sort of patrick's looking into and sort of their industry problems and then turning those into tech solutions to solve problems that we have today and then problems in the future like this uh little guy up here well, i wasn't going to mention it but now you've uh, now you've brought it to our attention what is the hat about so this is a, a, a knock sensing hard hat. So if you consider, if you like think about, about a lone worker, um, you know, they're, they're on site, hit their head, knocked out. <clears throat> well, the little gadgets on here, the little uh, sort of Raspberry Pi on the back, there's a little accelerometer, which is detecting that knock. So when, you know, someone bashes their head, you know, we've got this little red light up here that's, you know, visual indicator, but sending an alert up to the cloud. It's sending that piece of data that, at this point in time, this person who's wearing this helmet has knocked themselves unconscious, basically. Yeah, how many Raspberry Pis do we have in the office, do you think? Too many. Yeah. Too many. Although we are running short. Yeah. We are running short. The chip shortage in the world is uh, is causing us a bit of a headache, but we do have plenty around so that we can... How many is too many Raspberry Pis? There, there isn't. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I mean, at home, I've at least got three or four just yeah. of my own, and that's not including work ones, so... And so where does that data go and what do people, what, what can people get from it and, and use? Um, so, that, I mean, it's sending it up to the cloud. So that, that data, it's just a small data point. This knock happened at this point in time, this specific helmet. So, you know, say if you had like 20 or 30 helmets, all sending that data up, you can get a bit, you know, get some insights out of that. You know? mm -hmm. How many times has uh, Joe Bloggs knocked his head, <laughs> knocked himself unconscious? I think that's a good example though. I mean, I think it's, it illustrates that you don't need lots and lots of data points to get quite a useful bit of insight from it you know that, yeah, yeah. That, that's that's one person knocking their head and that, that can all that that's all that needs to be and that could save somebody's life quite easily so um i, th I think that's a good it's a good illustration of, of how that's the case absolutely and is it only in the construction industry do you think that this is applicable or could it be other it, industries that i mean the technology that's in there you could apply to literally anything you, know, you could have that in a, a bicycle helmet you know if you're you know off in, in the mountains somewhere you know unconscious sending an alert out you know there's, there's so many applications for that piece of technology good i'd like to think that if you had knocked off your bike you'd, you'd hopefully know about it before uh, oh i don't know it, 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 it depends how unconscious you are this is, this is very true it's very true now big data what does it mean what is it and why is it better than small data so big data well is it better than small data probably my question um i think something that data has never been short of is buzzwords yeah. and I don't know if you found the same thing um, big big data isn't a new thing it's been around for a long time I think big data is, is interesting it's important it's in a nutshell getting value from lots and lots of data but we're talking terabytes and it's something that the Netflixes and the Amazons are getting you know, tons of value from whenever you, you know, you're going on Netflix and you see you know, recommendation here's what to watch next that is big data in action. That's it. That's big data. Looking at looking at your activity, comparing it to everybody else who uses Netflix, and saying this is where this person fits. This is the kind of thing we like. 
I think a lot of, particularly the clients that we work in, it's, it's important not to get hung up on the word big. Yeah. Now, you asked me whether small data is better or worse. I think it's neat. I think it's as important. And, you know, if anyone listening to this, an important takeaway that I would say is that even even a small amount of data, as we kind of illustrated with the with the with the um, the helmet there, can still be valuable. It doesn't need to be big data. It can be just putting the right amount of of insight and information in the right person's hands, and that and that can be valuable. And it's and it can start there. Big data can come later on, but I'd, I'd start there. And and <clears throat> what I'd add to that as well, I think people misinterpret what big data means. I think they think it means a lot of the same data so you know say with that helmet you know having millions of that specific kind of data point but big data is about everything about every piece of data it's not just one thing and it's bringing those sources of data together to be able to do something with it mm. um, interesting and how can data big or small uh, influence the decision making process in uh, industries mm. well i think it's i think it's that i think it's putting the right um it is putting the right data in the right person's hands um, you know we talk a lot about um, if, you, if you've seen any of the numerous YouTube videos starring myself I've seen them all I've seen them all yeah, yeah big um, so you, you'll be as familiar as anybody with uh, the, the um, what we call the DIKW pyramid data information knowledge wisdom we talk about it a lot um, and without without the benefit of a, of a nice um, slideshow to take you through uh, if, you, if you imagine a triangle, can you picture a triangle? Uh, yeah, you just about picture a triangle. One of them, right? Yeah, 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 yeah three points. But what, it, what it illustrates is that data is, um, always it's the bottom of the foundation, and it's important, it, it holds the whole thing up. But what you're interested in is the wisdom that you can get from it, that's the actionable insight. Um, the way I always like to illustrate it is, if you, if you take an example of data, it could be something like red light. Mm. If I say the word red light, that could mean anything. It could be that neon sign, it could, it could be anything. If I say, if I turn into information by saying something like um, uh, the red light on Sydney Street in Sheffield, the, the traffic light on Sydney Street in Sheffield has turned red. Um, now we, we're, we're all on Sydney Street in Sheffield, but if you've never been there, you could still probably picture about the same thing. That becomes uh, knowledge by you know, being in the hands of someone who can take action on it. So a piece of knowledge would be, I'm driving on Sydney Street in Sheffield and the traffic light has turned red. That is now a piece of actionable insight that you can apply the wisdom to of, I should put the brakes on. Now that is a pretty, a pretty you know, silly example. Yeah, it might not be re relevant to industry, but that the concept still holds up. Mm. It's about understanding what are those bits of wisdom, what's the bit of actionable insight, and understanding the data you need to enable it. And that could be big or small. Um, but it's important to start with that, and then you can, uh, you can go from there. I mean, I think <clears throat> I think a lot of people try to gather a lot of information, like a lot, well, not information, a lot of data, but don't know what to do with it. Mm. Um, and even that data that they have might not be relevant to the problems they're trying to solve. And that's one of the problems with big data is that, it, oh, what can we get? Let's get some of that. Let's get some of that. Let's pull it all together and do something with it rather than thinking about what they, what they can actually yeah. do with it. And I've had that conversation. I've, I've, I've met people who've said, well, we've done, we've done data. You know, we collect loads of data, but it's not very valuable. And you say, well, what are you doing with it? Oh, well, nothing. We just put it in a, in a database, and then you've got to pay someone to look after it. You've got to, you know, and then when you finally do come to it, you've neglected it for a year, and it's all in a state, and you have to clean it, and you have to spend a load of money. And it's, 
before you embark on whatever it is you're doing, it's thinking, what is the action? What's that one piece of, uh, yeah, what's that question we want to answer right at the start? Is that the first step then for businesses to understand what they want to do with it? Because I know data gets thrown around as a buzzword. We want to do something with data. We're not sure what we want to do. Is it having that actionable insight and identifying that first, starting yeah. from top down? It's, a, it's as simple as that. I think for all the buzzwords, it's a pretty simple concept. It's get that, record that thing, put it in the right person's hands, make a decision. Um, why are we saying I'm having these conversations? Really simple exercise. You sat in a meeting, leave, leave an empty chair in the room. What if that if that if sat in that chair was your data? What questions would you be asking to it? Because yeah. that's that's your clue. That's your clue to the thing that you're trying to understand to solve the problems that you're actually facing. Mm-hmm. It's not data for data's sake. It's a we're sitting here making these decisions every day, and this is having a real impact on what we do. If we are, if some something or someone can answer this question, we'll make better decisions, and that that tells you what you should be working on. It's it's as simple as that. And once you know what it is that you're trying, you know those questions that you're trying to answer. That's when you go and get that data. You might already have some of it, mm. but there may be bits of missing data that you need to to answer that question. That's when you start making the change. You know, adding sensors to machines or you know whatever it might be to get to get mm. that data out. That's it. Things are moving pretty fast um, with technology at the minute. Is it too late now for businesses to get started on their data journey? Go on, innovation, what do you think? No, no, I wouldn't say so. <laughs> it, I, it's one of those things, I think, it, oh, the way I'm going to go with this is probably a bit like left field, but adding another buzzword in, <laughs> AI is like, it's is, is booming again now with like, you know, you know, emergence of things like chat, chat GPT. All of those require data mm. so whether you know i'm not saying that you know people should go down the route of exploring ai right now but if that's if that helps you solve the problem that you're trying you know you're tr- mm. trying to get out the questions from you, from your data then you, but you still need the data you can't start from nothing mm. with ai mm. now you mentioned uh, probably one of the biggest buzzwords hot topics in data and technology at the minute chat gpt open ai should yeah. we be worried no or should we be excited you should, should be excited you definitely should be excited is it going to take your jobs? No, it's meant to be an assistive tool. When I speak to clients I, and we're talking about AI, I try to push that. It's, a, it's an assistive tool so that the people who are like doing those manual jobs now of you know, trying to work out, you know, predicting when a machine's going to break, you know, it solves that problem so that you can focus on something else, something more important, more valuable. Um, mm-hmm. it, it, I'm not going to say it can't replace jobs, it can, but it, the idea is that you use it as an assistive tool rather than it to, to actually fully replace it. Yeah, I, th- I think it's an interesting one. I, th- <clears throat> I think in, in, if you look at previous revolutions, I suppose, in, uh, industrial revolutions, um, we, we've had some kind of automation that has maybe taken some kind of manual job and replaced it. You, know, you might have some kind of farming machinery that does the work of you know, 100 people. Um, I think AI is an interesting one. I don't know what your thoughts on, on this, James, but it it affects a lot of different kinds of jobs. It and, does. I, and I agree. I, th- I think it is absolutely a um, it's an assistive tool that should make people better. I think it will be interesting in 20 years' time. I don't think it's going to be, okay, we don't need this developer now because we've got this AI tool. Yeah. But in a company that has 100 developers today, I'd be interested what you think is... Is that 100 developers in 20 years' time? I think it'll be 100 developers focused on something else. Mm. You know, it, p- part of the challenge that 
we have today is that the complexities in building any application is, is getting harder and harder, which mm. is obviously adding more complexity, you know. But I think if we can focus that down and use AI to, to solve those problems, the things that shouldn't be that hard, building a website, building an API, so that then these engineers don't become data scientists. In it's way not hard to build a building website. It shouldn't be hard. It, and it, it, that's the thing, it shouldn't be hard, but it can be. We should have a go. James Cuff says, your job is safe. <laughs> <laughs> but I think with... I think with, with Developing, you know, the building website probably is quite hard for myself, and I don't know about you, Callum. Really. I'd give it a go. But, I mean, I, I can but, draw. but that point notwithstanding, the, the the hardest part of what what I what I feel that we do is understanding a problem. Yeah. yeah. It's and it's having the vision to how you get from where you're starting from to that problem being solved. That that kind of problem, I don't think, is is as well suited to AI. You know, AI can help write some code. Because, you know, you, you're working in pretty well-defined boundaries with that, you know, and an AI can be well-trained on looking at a big, a big data set of how that code might be written. But when you're starting to solve problems that require, you know, what humans are good at, you know, creativity, you know, more, more strategic thinking, yeah. dealing with uncertainty, mm. that's when you're always going to need humans. I think ChatGPT has been a really interesting one, and we're getting t tons and tons of people from all kinds of backgrounds, industries, yeah. You know, levels of tech maturity. Maybe we had a client find us via ChatGPT. Yeah, that was one. So they put in they put into ChatGPT. Was it Sheffield companies who can work with AI? The best Sheffield company. The best yeah, Sheffield company. Yeah. Um, and it, and it pop razor. Yeah. And then he talked about some, you know, some interesting challenges. And he's probably the kind of person that who you know we talk, we talked to all kind of, all kinds of companies, but it wasn't. You know, talking to him, he wasn't the typical person who I'd expect to be asking us about something that is so, you know, cutting edge. Yeah. Um, and it sort of shows the mainstream appeal that it's had. But ultimately, it's a big statistical language model. I think a lot of people, because you interact with it, and you can, you can have quite, you know, when, you have, when you're conversing with it, you know, you, you would think it is a person. Yeah, yeah. Like, it's very, you know, it's, it's amazing. I find it amazing. Um, but ultimately, it's a statistical model that is deciding which word comes next in the sentence. Yeah. Um, based on information that already exists. It's pre-trained as well. That's one thing around GPT, which it, as, as a model, like an AI model, you couldn't use for specific scenarios in your own industry. It's good for like human readable content knowledge, but it's not, it's not going to be able to infer that your machine is going to break. It doesn't know that because it doesn't have that information. It's pre-trained on the internet of, of, of knowledge. Mm. Who trained the model? Who trained the ChatGPT model? Uh, so there's a company called OpenAI, uh, and they they basically research all of this um, this space, the data engineers, mm. and data scientists who are, who are creating these models. So ChatGPT, which I think everybody's more familiar with, is it's just a surface layer for a, a an AI called GPT. And GPT is the, the, the language model. Um, and they're com continuously iterating on it. They're, I think just a couple of weeks ago, maybe last month, they in introduced GPT-4, which is mm. a, a newer, mm. more advanced model than the previous one. And there's some interesting stuff that they do. I don't want to go too much into it, but some interesting research that they do around the AI and then you know, molding it before they actually mm. um, put it out there for people to use. Yeah, well, it was interesting. I was reading an article this morning and it was, a, I think it was a newspaper in Ireland was apologising because it turned out a piece that, they'd, that had been submitted to them had been generated through, oh, wow. through ChatGPT. 
I think it's an interesting question there around, you know, does that, does that matter? You know, would you think less of an article you were reading if you knew it had been written by a journalist or if it had been written by ChatGPT? Mm. Like, does that, does well, it matter? I think this is where the, it's an assistive tool and the two come together, mm. you know, because if, if you're using that AI tool to, to just generate content, you're throwing it out there, you're not fact-checking it, you don't know if it's correct, you know? Mm. Everything that everything that it's uh, responding with is just an assumption based on the prompt you give it, and unless you're you know you're, you're fully into your data sciences and you're doing prompt engineering, which is basically you know mm. saying the right phrases to get the right answer, what it can generate could be absolute garbage. Mm. Well, yeah, I mean, do you, I mean, I don't know if you found that. I find because I, I sometimes use it as basically a Google. You know, I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. If I've got a question I want to answer, I just ask it to chat GPT. And you're not digging through. I also know that you've used it to create your own sitcoms. Um, own sitcoms. Um, it's, it's not as funny as we are, obviously. <laughs> sure. um, as, as you get from this, it's not, it's not got that. Yeah. Um, but I, th I find sometimes when it's something, when I ask it about a subject that I do know about, especially when I ask it to you know, give me kind of a long form, detailed thing. There are elements where it, oh, actually, I don't know if that's quite questionable. But it says it in a very, very convincing way. Um, I've not actually tried uh, GPT-4. Yeah. I don't know if you've had a go with that. Not yet. It's um, on a tech radar. On a tech radar. Think of the sitcoms you could write with GPT. <laughs> well, I know if this, if this doesn't work out, that's on next. <laughs> um, um, you mentioned in your chat um, data engineers and data scientists. Can you just break down those roles and what they mean and what they're sort of responsibilities are yeah um so i think i think an often confused often overlapped roles i, th I yeah. think people hire data professionals in some ways and, and, and i think some ways i hope you know, hopefully can fulfill both roles i'd say that in the most simplest way to me a data engineer is effectively a data plumber mm -hmm. it's the person who puts all the pipe work in and, and does all, and does all the work to get data from its raw unrefined states at wherever it was made mm -hmm into a place where it can be analysed. Um, so we, can, we can talk more about what those, those little bits look like, but that's, that's, that's what a data engineer does. A data scientist is, I probably the name suggests, a scientist. Mm. It's someone who asks questions about data and goes and, and finds the answer, who, who forms hypotheses, who does statistical analysis, um, and is, is very much more on that you know, machine learning, you know, statistical modelling side. Yeah. We have a question about this data you know, let's go find out about it. Um, but I think we there are obviously roles that are massively in demand at the minute. You know, you know, we have our own, um, but uh, and ones that are often confused. But very, very distinct skill sets. You, your data scientist is the one that's probably creating your AI models, your machine mm. learning models. You know, that's how I. I yeah. yeah. Your engineer is your plumber. Is your plumber? Is your plumber? Is your plumber? Exactly. Yeah. Do you need do you need data pipes and, and do those together? So. Okay. Yeah. I mean, you need that though. You do need you do need the plumbing. The two are like the complementary roles. Mm. Um, you need both. You can't have one without the other. Oh yeah. Don't get me wrong. And and again, it kind of goes back to what I said before about how we um, you know, the challenges we face when we're creating a piece of software. You know, the tech is the tech. You can you can learn about the tech. The hard thing with data engineering is getting the data in a state that answers the right questions and understanding what those questions are, um, which, you know, links back to what we said before, when you, whenever you're doing a data transformation or trying to do things with data, they're the things you need to be thinking of. It's, it's not just getting it from point A to point B, because that, that's when you do end up with, well, I had a load of data I didn't understand here, and I've got, I've got it here, 
you know, what does it show what? Yeah. It's going in a form that right now we can, you know, create the dashboards that, you know, that, that interrogates that data in the way we want to. We can ask, answer, ask the questions of it. So, um, yeah, both, both important. Mm. Talk about the applicability um, for data projects in certain industries. Something that comes up a lot, particularly in manufacturing, is sustainability. How can data projects be used to support sustainability? Hmm. Well, with, with sustainability, you can't improve something. You improve the things that you can measure, and you've got to be able to, you've got to, be able to measure what you're improving to know that the, the things that you're doing are having an impact. You know, data on its own won't make you more sustainable, but it can tell you the places that you need to start looking and, and going to look at those. Um, you know, something like you sort of alluded to there, particularly in the manufacturing industry, particularly with what's happening with you know, energy bills, how expensive it is. You know, we're, we're talking to companies who have had really, it's had a really profound impact on their bottom line. You know, le- leaving a machine on when it doesn't need to be, you know, leaving a light or an air conditioning on when it doesn't need to be. Over the course of a year, actually has a pretty profound impact on the bottom line. And by using you know the right data, it tells you where to where to start looking, where, well, you, where to take action. And you need to be. I mean, there are two sides to this. On I guess on the consuming energy, you need to be able to monitor it. Mm. How do you monitor it? You know, there are, you could get you know the the core power that's coming from everything, but that doesn't give you enough information to target specific areas. So mm. then you need to start censoring up, you know, specific machines, and then working out if if it's that one that's drawing too much inf- uh, too much power. Then there is the flip side of all this that I, I think about when we when I think about sustainability, and it's actually the software that we build as well. You know, if you, mm. if you flip it on its head, from an AI perspective, if you're building an AI model that is you know going to predict how much energy usage, it, and you need a lot of data to do that, so there's a lot of computational power. Mm. So then you've got you, you, it's a different machine, but you've got a computer, a server, whether it's in the cloud or not, you know, running for X amount of time. Mm. It's easy to forget, isn't it? I think when you especially when you're working in the cloud. Yeah. You know, you're not. It's not the days where you've got a you got a server in the corner whirring away, getting hot, and you go out oh, kicking out a lot of energy. It it does feel like out of sight, out of mind, and it is. You know, it's our responsibility, isn't it, to make sure. Yeah, I mean, the companies like you know, at Microsoft are doing things. You know, with Azure Cloud, you know, they they've got their system sustainability uh, effort that they're you know sort of working towards. But I think it's still on the people who are building the software. To make sure that it's you know performant and there's all sorts of things in the background that not just at the at the core in the actual manufacturing you know um. another different ways that you can visualize that data and is that important hmm. oh, visualize it it's, it's arguably the most important bit i think you know we, we at razor we have that internal capability to do the ux and the, and the ui design and we don't just apply that when we're building you know, a piece of software or you know, building a, a website. If we're creating a Power BI dashboard, it has to work well for the user. Everything eventually has to interact with the human or else it's, you know, there's no point. And so we'll get back to AI and all that. Yeah, I was going to say. James Cuff says not taking our job. Not taking our job, okay. but until it does, um, people need to be able to interact with it, understand it, it needs to be intuitive. Because otherwise, all, all the stuff, all the plumbing that's come before, that could be that could be perfect, but if it ends up on a dashboard in an interface that isn't intuitive to use, that um, you know people just give up give up on, they're not going to take action, and you, you may as well have not done all that. Um, and I think it's something that is often an afterthought. Yeah, I, I think especially you know with with tools like Power BI or, or whatever you end up using it in, 
people can just throw something together because they think, okay, it's there. There's your graph. But um, yeah, you know, it has it has a big impact on the actual impact that thing makes. So yeah, we always think about that first thing. Imagine going down though from an innovate. You know, well, things whirring through my mind. Going down the AI route. I'm not saying GPT could do this, but if you could ask GPT to create you your dashboard, mm. you, you tell it what you want. I want a I want a pie chart that says this and infers from the, your data source. You know, imagine mm. if you could do that though. If there's if there was a tool out there, yeah. we could build. No, not taking jobs. Though. Not taking jobs. Yeah, not taking jobs. We're well, yeah. taking taking our jobs. I just love to see the cogs work. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's something. The heat he's giving off. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Terms like uh, data warehouse and data lake. What's all that about? Yeah, so they're both, they're both different things for, for different needs. Um, I think an important thing to point out is the difference between uh, structured and unstructured data. And structured something that I think we're all very used to, to working with in, in yeah. business. You know, that's that's your, your spreadsheet, that's stuff that can sit in, in rows and columns, you know, numbers and, and, and whatever. Unstructured is, is your images. It's your you know, PDF document, or, or basically everything else, um, and a data lake can do can do a lot. Yeah, it just stores it. So it stores everything in, let's say, in, in its raw format, and then the data warehouse is much more that. How can we put structured data in in a way that we can query it and, and set it up for what we're asking? So just to just blow your mind, there is there is there is a, a third option which is a combination of the two. Can you can you guess what it's called? Data. Data. <laughs> It is a data warehouse. A data uh, a lake house. Mm -hmm. A data lake house is nice. is is kind of new. That sits somewhere in between. That, that tries to both leverage that ability to have you know all, all kinds of data in a in a raw format, but then sitting on top of that is sort of a layer that, that you, you can interact with and is as, as if it was a data warehouse, as if it was structured. So you can kind of you know change the focus from having that pipeline architecture to kind of having it all in one place and that's something that we're seeing more and more of um particularly there's a lot of data to deal with so uh there's yeah it, it depends on the application but often solutions have a bit of a bit of everything um going back to that point about data scientists that lake is is mainly where they're working yeah they want to work with things that are mm. that are unrefined because once it's been refined you don't know what you've lost mm. you might be asking a question that the data that was going to answer it got cleaned out somewhere back over here you're missing a trend so um, all, all part of, of data solutions. If data were a superhero, what would its superpower be? If data was a superhero, what superpower would it be? I think, probably the, I think the superpower that people often think it has is that it can predict the future. I think they think if we get our, you know, if we throw some AI in there and, and set up our data, well, I do all this thing that we can Ask it a question. It will just. We can start predicting everything that's going to happen three years out and make all the decisions then, um, which is not what it can do. Nobody can do that. It's about informing your uh, decision making as much as possible, so you can make better decisions. You know, you know, no one's ever always going to make the right decision, but it can make better decisions. So, if if it was a superhero, it would be able to predict the future slightly more often than a regular person, but still. Not to an extent where you could, uh, you could kind of put your you money on it. You got there. It's almost like you've had a chance to prepare for that. Uh, <laughs> yeah, actually, it's like I thought. You know, what is a really insightful way of turning that question on its head a little yeah, bit? No, it's just yeah. So, should we believe the hype then? Data. Should we believe the hype of data? Um, should we believe the hype? Data. We should. I think. 
Yeah, going, going back to my, my big pyramid. If I could, if I could just for a second go back to my uh, take my, it back my, to the triangle. Take it back to the triangle. Three shapes. Um, we should. The hype of data, no. Da- data on its own is not useful. It's it's an overhead and something that you've got to pay to to store and look after and on its own doesn't do anything. The hype of turning that into real insight you can take action on. I I believe the hype of that. That hype of trying to um, elevating people, making people better. I believe the hype of that as well. So I think data no, but the effects when used when used properly. Um, I think there's some there's some hype there to believe. It's almost like unrefined oil. Yeah, data is a new oil. Do you know the guy? You know, you know the, the, the phrase data is a new oil. The the guy who came up with that is at Sheffield University. Is that right? Just up the road. So um, little famous phone there, little there factoid. Go. There you go. Little yeah. soundbite. Sheffield, home of data. Home of data. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Patrick, James, thank you very much for your time. Thank today. you for having me. It's been your most insightful, and I hope you enjoyed listening and watching. Uh, until next time, goodbye.